Hey everybody, and welcome back to Scripture First, the podcast that explores how the Lutheran lectionary is working in your life. I'm your host, Mason Van Essen. This week, my friends Adam Keery and I sit down with Dr. Chris Krogan. Since 2006, Chris has helped establish and direct the Luther House of Study, a ministry anchored in the Lutheran faith and grounded in the foundation of Lutheran education that both equips people to become pastors and serves lay members of congregations. Dr. Krogan is trained as a Reformation scholar who has been teaching college and seminary students since 2004, with his primary emphasis being nurturing faith and preparing pastors. This week, we take a look at Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. I'll go ahead and read that passage in a moment, but be sure to notice how Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's saying some pretty radical things about hating, yes, hating your parents, spouse, children, and even your life. We discuss it fully in this week's conversation, which we'll get to after Luke, starting with verse 25. Now large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. If he cannot, then, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks, asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. And now, this week's conversation. Welcome to the first episode, Chris. Thanks for being here. Great. It's it's wonderful. I'm so excited about what we have here in the future as being able to bring this word in people's ears, and especially with you guys uh, initiating this so that we can have people who are have real life in the pews hear what it is that we are working with when we talk about our Lord Jesus and what he's doing in the world and with these gospels. So I'm excited about this. Well, to start off, um, we're talking about Luke chapter 14. And there's uh, plenty of verses before the passage itself of what we're talking about today. So could you give us a a summary of what's happening and set the the stage for what this specific passage is trying to talk about? Right. Jesus is, um, all of chapter 14, Jesus is sitting and having dinner at the house of the ruler of the Pharisees. So it's important because now if you know the Pharisees, they are ones who are experts in the law. And so when you are an expert in a particular field, your ears are always tuned to how it is that somebody's speaking in that field. And so he recognizes that he has an audience there that are going to hear this in the law, and that's actually what he's addressing. And so when we're sitting there and listening to it ourselves, our ears are tuned, and there are two different ears now in this text that are tuned. It's the Pharisees and the law, but that's the disciples who are going to get their ears tuned in the gospel. And that's going to be an important piece as we walk through this to understand what it is Jesus is saying and how it's affecting people. Just to get right into it, the first thing that 
uh, always hits people the hardest or always kind of uh, hurts is the, 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 first, the first line, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and yes, even life itself cannot be my disciple. Can you kind of unpack, uh, Chris, what it means to hate father and, and mother, and it's uh, especially in the context of uh, God's commandment to love father and mother? Yeah, and so <clears throat> this is why it's helpful to understand how people hear these texts in two different ways, because a common way you talk about it is people think that their God would give a command and you have the ability to do it. And so when God's saying, or when Jesus is saying, you're going to end up <clears throat> hating He's actually saying this is what's going to happen to you, and it's more of an event as opposed to a potential. And so when he's sitting there, let's just look at the text again. Whoever does comes to me and does not hate father and mother. A lot of people think, oh, so I need to now go out and start trying to hate people, especially the ones who <laughs> reared me and, and made my life all the better. And my mom's not going to like this text. Either, you know, we went not, out a, teeny- not a Mother's Day text. Not a good thing. <laughs> But they're like, well, I, I experienced that when they were teenagers, but that's not what I want in the end, you know. But, but so, but it's not actually a prescription. And so there's two dis- different ways, you know, that this ear is going to hear it. And for people who are stuck in hearing it in what they call their self-righteousness, and that's what I mean by hearing it in the law, they are going to hear it as what we call a prescription, something that you can kind of do, all right, and that you're asked to do. Whereas a depiction, which is people that hear it as news, as a gospel, that's different. And so when Jesus is saying, you are going to hate, okay, who does not hate? That is, it's going to happen. So it's a depiction of what's going to happen to you. And what's going to happen is you are actually going to fulfill the first commandment. Now, remind me what it is the first commandment says. You shall have no other gods. Right. And so this is actually where the pinch really happens with Jesus when he's sitting there and he's talking to the Pharisees. Remember, he's talking to the Pharisees. They're experts in the law. Mm -hmm. They know the first commandment, Mm -hmm. and they've been trying so hard. And he says, by the way, the first commandment is going to be that you end up hating everybody else in your life and have God as your God. Mm -hmm. That is to say, so that's going to be this moving away because... Whatever you love is your idol. Mm-hmm. And if it's not God, then you have just broken the first commandment. And so it's where your heart goes, and that's part of what's going on here. So Jesus is starting to pare away all of our idols when he says this. So this is why, believe it or not, your father and mother, your wife and your children, your brothers and sisters, and even life itself is your idolatry. And that's what he's getting after here. And so this is his first Move And whenever Jesus talks, he's trying to re- actually remove your idol so he ha- only he is left in your life. And that's part of the challenge, which is why the cross will be the next piece that he picks up. Yeah, it kind of reminds me, I, I forget where the verse is, but the, whoever loves his life will lose it. Uh, whoever loses his life will gain, uh, exactly. gain it. Exactly. Uh, yep. And so it's a passive event more so than you need to go out and try this. Which it gives you the illusion when it says, whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So it's giving you like the illusion that it is a prescription to say like, okay, carry your cross and you're in. Yeah. Which you won't do or can't do. You can't do. You're going to have the cross laid upon you. And this is an important image in there. 
is when you actually have the cross laid upon you, what's happening, because then you look at why, did, why does Jesus end up on the cross? Because people sinned against him, and he did not defend himself against their accusations of sinner. And so when you end up carrying the cross, you are subject to everybody else's dirt, their mm-hmm. baggage, and you don't defend yourself. You don't justify yourself. You don't self-preserve. And so if you are self-preserving, this is why that hating life itself, even life itself, if you are trying to preserve your life, who's your idol? Me, myself, and I. Mm -hmm. You are still stuck in, I'm more important than God. And so that's part of what's going on. He just just runs down your list of things that you hold dearest. So what, I guess, to kind of go back, the... Can you just clarify just a little bit? What does it mean then to to hate father and mother mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to the commandment, love thy father and mother? Yeah. To, uh, you know, this is where we can play in a little bit in the Greek here. Okay. And so we, we've got this niseo, you know, which is actually kind of d- d- detest. Um, and it's not that you um, sit there and say, you know, I'm I'm mad at them. But it's, no, you aren't my identity in life. Mm-hmm. I, my life can be um, sustained by God and you aren't so it's kind of like you're not enmeshed with the person or you're not codependent or you can move on so like if mom dies you're not left without life mm-hmm. if your child dies you can still have because God is your identity and you can make it through and in a way you're almost you're doing them a favor because you're saying you do not have to be my identity you do not have to be my God uh, you can actually be a creature in this world and we can worship the same God you're not propping them up or putting unneeded pressure in so that it's sense. more so it's more of like a noun or an adjective describing you than it is a verb that you're doing you're not hating right but it is more of a it's putting it's it's just putting it the relationship in the proper place. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because th- now it doesn't mean that you don't actually love them. Because this is the other piece that we're going to get to mm-hmm. is is as we walk through this text, you recognize that um, your heart always goes to that which is giving to you. So there is no such thing. This is a this is a key piece that a lot of people don't recognize in the scriptures. There's only one person who does unconditional love, and that's Jesus. Mm-hmm. The rest of us, when we love something, it's because we benefit from it. And that can be even your child. Uh, it can be your spouse. It, they're actually meeting some of your needs, and that's why you love something. And so that's called conditional love. And so this is why Jesus is eventually saying, the unconditional love that you're going to get from my election for you, my grabbing you out of uh, the only thing you need is me, which is why Jesus will go on and say, yes, you have this water, but I will give you a living water that you will never thirst, that does not go dry. I am the bread of life. You know, mm-hmm. this bread, you know, you don't have to rely on it, but only the word of God is mm-hmm. what you rely on. That's God's promises to sustain you and get you through all temptations, trials, and daily struggles. Mm-hmm. Krogan, I want to back up a little bit of what you said a few minutes ago um, regarding self-preservation. You were bringing in the father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, um, and how until if we're trying to self-preserve ourselves, 
basically we're not living for Christ. Can you actually go into that a little bit? Because that's something that is confusing in the sense of if I'm not preserving myself, then I can't go and actually fulfill other commandments and I can't go take care of my neighbor. I can't go and be a good mother to my children or be a good sister. And so if I'm not trying to do some of that, so it's how do I make the law work so yeah. that I can be there for the people in my life? That's a great question, Kiri. And so what's fun is to listen to your question because um, your question centered around you as subject of the verb. You kept on saying, I can't, I, 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 which is exactly what Jesus is getting at here. And so you actually nailed it right, right perfectly. Insofar as when you're worried about doing it well, so you just said, if I can't self-preserve, then I can't fulfill the rest of the commandments, which is exactly the point, is that you are still self-preserving when you're worried about being good at the law. So if you're worried about how is it that I'm going to go out and serve the neighbor, well, that's self-preservation mm-hmm. still. You're, you're just, you've just got right there the disease. So what happens is you actually have to have the whole sense of self-preservation removed from you, which is what the cross does which is why Jesus used the cross. And then he also says, you know, towards the end, therefore none of you can become my disciple unless everything has been removed from you. And that Luther has this beautiful end of the hymn of a mighty fortress. And he says, though goods, child, spouse, though life itself be wrenched away. Can't you see that here in this text? Mm-hmm. He just, goods, honor, child, spouse, though life itself be wrenched away. They cannot win the day. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the word that remains. And so that's kind of what's going on in this text. That's the end of that mighty fortress hymn, um, is this text right here, which is Luther saying, God is going to finally get the final word. His word is going to come in. This is why this is an, as, as much of an election text, that God is choosing these people now as they hear. Because the other piece that the lectionary doesn't pick in, but it'd be great for you to look at verses 34 and 35. Because Jesus says, now those who have ears, they're going to hear this. That means God's word is going to come in and start doing its work and making disciples by removing sense that I need to preserve myself, by removing sense that I've got to do it or I've got to be better. Does that help, Kiri? Yeah. And this is neither here nor there, but why? Because that, what you just said, 34 and 35, because that sounds like the gospel, why isn't it included in the lectionary? Uh the lectionary people I've seen that, some pretty long ones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the lectionary people that have this decision for some reason decided to that out, which is why some pastors take uh, privilege uh, and, and change, or at least... Freedom of a Christian. Yes, to, uh, exactly. <laughs> go, I'm going to actually bring a couple more verses in or set it up before. And so that's, that's by the way, always legal in a congregation. So don't ever... Don't ever uh, um, criticize your pastor for making the gospel a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I want to ask you actually about verse 33. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. Right. Um, this honestly ties back to what you were talking about a little bit earlier, but I would like you to hit it a little bit more on the head. Um, how... So I'm just thinking strictly in terms of when the disciples were the disciples of Jesus Christ, um, the 12. How were the disciples able to be disciples of Christ 
because they didn't give up all of their possessions. I mean, you had a set of brothers in there. That's literally what Jesus is calling or what Christ is calling out in the first few verses of this lectionary. Yeah, this is that's a great question because that's why you have to read the whole gospel sometime in a setting. Sometime if, if you haven't had a chance to do it. The easiest one to do is Mark because it's the shortest, right? You can read it in probably about two and a half hours. You just sit down and decide to read it. Boom, it's through. But as you read and you see the rhythm of the narrative, you recognize that in the Gospel of Mark, the disciples are, are Larry, Moe, and Curly. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the three students. They never get it. They're just boom, 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 boom. You know, and Jesus is like, oh, my God. <laughs> Why are you still here? You're just driving me nuts. But what happens with the disciples, which is why Jesus says this is what's going to happen, but you recognize that they never actually get there. No. They never get there until they have it finally all taken away from them. And so what happens in the cross is it's what we call the coup de grace, the, the decapitation of the disciples. Coup de grace meaning grace. That's what grace the, the, the graceful event is when you finally have your ego removed, your sense of self, and Jesus is all that's left. So the disciples are a great illustration, not of how to do it, but what's going to happen to us? Yeah, and they don't, they don't understand it until after the cross has happened, and then they're like, "Oh, exactly. <laughs> uh, it's he actually did die, and he actually was raised, and that's what he was talking about then." Uh, but without the actual cross, it's just uh, the ears don't open, or the ears right. aren't, aren't open. Yeah, is, and is that what like the middle? texts are talking about because we haven't really brought that up of how yeah. like you're planning the costs of, of your of building a tower and you're you're counting your armies like to see if it, like you can even go into battle yep. is that the like the uh, disciples calculating like what we need to do or what is Jesus saying so that we need to do but until after the event they have their possessions taken from them they didn't actively give them up yeah they didn't actively so Jesus is basically saying no I'm telling you this right now because who is going to end up not recognizing what is going to be the cost of what we call discipleship at this point in time. So he's just saying, here's the cost of you ended up being, now note, not deciding to follow me. This is the other piece with the disciples, is when you read about the calling of the disciples, and especially you read in the Greek, he calls them at the shores and it says immediately Mm -hmm. they dropped everything and followed him. They didn't have a moment of deliberation. They didn't sit there and say, well, no, I've decided to follow Jesus. And so... It um, wasn't a committee or a... No. <laughs> right. Discipleship committee. No, there was... Three-fourths uh, vote. Right. No, and it wasn't, wasn't that, you know, we're going to go out and do mission now. Mm-hmm. No, they actually were elected, chosen by Christ, which is why, that again, verses 34 and 35 is going to be important about the ears. They hear, and it happens. And so that's going to be a key piece. So then when you get to these middle sections, Jesus is saying, now I'm, going to, I'm kind of giving you a little bit of a heads up of what's going to happen to you. The, Jesus is not telling you to calculate. He's telling you, here's what the costs will be. And so who, when doing this, is not going to come to realize, this is going to be quite an event for me. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus is kind of starting to do, putting those pieces of the puzzle together mm-hmm. for the disciples. Um, Chris, can you kind of talk about, I guess, verse 33 a a little bit more so uh about how this this reads like a command uh in a sense but can maybe be taken as a promise or as you said as an event that this Mm -hmm. will actually happen that uh uh, 
can you kind of go yeah. on about that? Yeah, well, let's break it away from God for a second, and maybe something we, we can we can uh, all relate to that. Um, when you were a young child, and your mom or your dad said, "You do this, and this will be the consequences." Mm-hmm. They are telling you this isn't going to go well for you, or this will go well for you, and so they're actually promising you the event that will come come to bear, right? Even though if it's if you cross the street without looking, you'll get hit by a car. Sounds like uh, a fear. Oh no, don't do that. You know, be mm-hmm. careful. But actually, they're actually saying this will happen mm-hmm. when you. So that's why it is kind of a promise of the cause effect mm-hmm. is guaranteed. And so that's why it functions in a promise, but it's not a, uh, um, it's not always, this kind of promise does not, is always a feel good promise, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So when you are t- promised that you will lay your life down, not only for your friends, but for your enemies, you look at your enemies going, I ha- I'm gonna end up actually sacrificing my life for them that doesn't seem great I don't want to do that right exactly so it doesn't it's not a feel-good promise but it actually is what Christ ends up doing to you Mm -hmm. for you Mm -hmm. and when you come to that realization that even that will happen there is a freedom now that is beyond what you have ever imagined in that when you get to have self-preservation removed from you you walk so much more freely in the world because you're not worried, you're not ducking, you're not looking behind your back and wondering what's coming to get me. You're not sitting there saying, I need to preserve this relationship and sacrifice that one. You're just literally open hand to anybody that needs. Now, this is a process, which is why that you've already recognized disciples don't get there right away. Just because Jesus says it doesn't mean it happens for them, which is a key piece that whenever you're reading this, there's a common phrase, the ought implies a can and this is not the way we read these texts from jesus of an ought implying a can instead it's a this is what will happen the way i like to talk about it is you eat a lot of watermelon what do you need to go go do in a couple hours (laughs) yeah no it's not an ought implies a can (laughs) it's a this is where it's gonna go so um can you give clarification on what it means when you say the promise versus Mm -hmm. what it means when you say the law. Yeah, good. That's good. A promise, okay, is given to you. You don't get to control or have activity when receiving a promise. And so the ultimate promise Christ gives, which is what we call the gospel, which is what's called good news, is always apart from the law. And it is all of your sins are forgiven and you will now be raised into eternal life. There's the gospel. Christ forgives you your sin and raises you from the dead. He promises that of you. And you actually can't forgive yourself, nor can you raise yourself from the dead. So you have been taken out of being the actor or what we call the subject of the verb. So that's a promise. You don't have control on receiving a promise. When a law is giving, like we already talked about, ought implies a can, a law then is told, and you think, I have a role that I have to do. And therefore, it is a burden that you now have to get up to, or you have to uh, 
work towards or fulfill. You can't fulfill a promise, you receive a promise. So that's kind of the two things that are going on. So when we talk about a promise, it is you are no longer in control, it's God's doing. And so when you hear a promise, it changes your identity from you need to, to you get it, you receive it. Does that give some clarity? Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, kind of a, to go back a little bit and how it, uh, it's it's painful to, to, to hear that your possessions will be taken away from you. This is a process. At a certain point, though, like you said, it, it becomes a freedom. And it, you actually, I, I just think of Paul when he says, take this wretched body from me, where you're actually pleading with God, in a sense, that to uh, take this from me, uh, I, don't, I don't need it. I'm, does that kind of make sense, or is that... Um, what it is is um, your um, heart sure. is what God wants from you. So you read in the commandments, I, the Lord God, am a jealous God. Now you know what jealousy people do. What do they want? They want that person all to themselves. This is exactly what Jesus is up to. He actually is jealous, meaning he wants your heart alone. God wants your heart alone. Why does God go... To that extreme because you think well you know somebody who really loves me would want me to be interacting with other people and have relationships with others and really enjoy that and yeah. and give me the freedom and flexibility that i want no no god actually doesn't do that why because god knows all of these other things can and will not be able to sustain you so believe it or not your parents will die believe it or not maybe if you if you're unfortunate enough you might lose a child your spouse before you die your goods, your honor, this is back to Luther's thing, all these things that we would think are our identity. So, for example, this is why people go through crises when they lose a job. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they were, they are what they do. God says, I don't want you to be reliant on things that can be taken away from you. So there's another passage that says, don't store up your treasure where moth, rust, or thief can get at it but store up your treasure in heaven. That is to say, put all your trust, your identity, your sense of self in God's promise, not in earthly mammon mm-hmm. or earthly relationships. I guess uh, the next question then, because uh, like you were talking about before, you'll either hear this uh, through the law or you'll hear this through the, pro- or through the gospel. And then the question would be, how do, how do I become a disciple? Mm-hmm. What, what is, I mean, we kind of talked about what it means to be a disciple, but how do I actually become a disciple? Yeah. Again, this is why that verses 34 and 35 that we already noted aren't in the text, which is why maybe you suggest to your pastor you read those two. <laughs> when they come up, you become a disciple by hearing. Remember, this is what Paul says. Faith comes through hearing. And so the disciples are the ones who have faith in Christ alone. And so this is why they start their discipleship by hearing Jesus saying, follow me. Mm-hmm. They don't see Jesus on the shore and say, well, that's a good-looking guy. I want to model him. You know, They don't say, what would Jesus do either? You know, They're not trying to make Jesus into a model. So this is why it would be very important for you never to see these as Jesus is giving you an expectation of how to do it. But he's just telling you. So he elects with his words, mm-hmm. with his voice. That's how he makes disciples. And so he's doing that. That's the whole process through all the Gospels. And then he does his coup de grace at the end and say, now I'm going to actually bind you in your sin by making you one of my betrayers. 
And then when he makes you one of your betrayers, do you have any way of saying, I was good at this? No. You actually say, Lord, have mercy. I actually killed the one I thought I loved the most. And then he's got you exactly where he wants you so he can say, ha, now watch. Your sin does not have the final word over me. Mm -hmm. I raised from the dead because of your sins. And thank God that Jesus does have the final word over us. With those closing words, you've made it to the end, my friend. I want to personally thank you for listening to this conversation featuring my friends Adam, Curie, and Dr. Chris Grogan. All of us here at Luther House of Study are so excited to share these conversations with you. It's our hope you found something a little bit deeper to think about in this lectionary text, and we can't wait to share more. This is Scripture First. We'll see you next time.